Hi everybody, we are on Season 8, Episode 1 of the Practical Protection Podcast and we are back after the summer of 2023 and kicking things off with the co-chairs of the IPTF. So I have Joe Miller, Katie Cook-Davis and Andrew Wibley with me. Hi everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi, we are going to be talking about the IPTF, what it is that they do, what they're trying to sorry, achieve in the industry, what they're seeing in the industry, and their upcoming IPOR week, which is going to be an incredible success just like it was last year. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, how is everybody doing today? Are we all all right? Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yes, very good. Thank you. Not too bad at all. Fantastic. So, I believe we have iPod coming up incredibly soon. I imagine everything is quite tense right now. Lots of logistics going around the place, and uh, but also very, very exciting for you all. I was going to try and say, of course, it's all organised. It's absolutely fine. But no, the week's running up to IPAR are a little bit frantic um, but hopefully that means that IPAR week itself is fantastic so here's hoping. I'm sure it will be I know you were it was a complete I say logistical feat last year so so well done with that so let's get straight into things. I think what's quite important is that you know we do see things on different social media and like through account managers we hear lots and lots about IPTF or the Income Protection Task Force but not everybody will have done and so it's a good idea probably to just give everyone a bit of a background so kind of like what is IPTF what's its purpose and um, Katie I know you've got quite a good uh, background on that for us. <laughs> right, I'll kick off. So, so the IPTF, which is it stands for the Income Protection Task Force, which sounds like a very big and, and exciting, uh, exciting name. Essentially, what we are is is an industry body um, led by Joe, Andrew, and myself, and we took over as co uh, co chairs at the beginning of twenty twenty one. So, we've been been in position now for, for well, we're into our third year. Um, but believe it or not, the IPTF has actually been around for almost 20 years. You have to correct me, Joe, if that's not, not right. But I think I think it's almost 20 years, which is quite uh, quite mad. Um and 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 you know, over that whole time and and you know, into our tenure as well, the, the ultimate aim has been the same, and that's to grow the IP market. So if I if I kind of read out our, our mission then, so so the mission of the IPTF is to be the voice for the income protection industry, promoting awareness of IP amongst consumers, removing barriers for distributors, enabling open dialogue between providers and advisors, and driving up sales of income protection. So we work with all the main reinsurers, insurers, insurers service providers, and many advice firms and networks. And the way we work is across um, a number of focus areas and work streams. So I'll just give you kind of very high level. I suppose there are three core focuses for us at the moment at the IPTF. Uh, the first is growing awareness of IP. Um, and Joe will talk more about that. And IPOR fall, falls within that. Uh, removing barriers to IP. So looking at underserved markets, access to IP, new ways to distribute. And finally, educating consumers. So how do we increase awareness and understanding um, around IP in the consumer space? Yeah, I was going to say that's a really good, very, very good mission to have. <laughs> so, Joe, <laughs> I know you've got some objectives and things as well to, to share with us as well. Yes. Well, looking at iPod specifically, I guess, um, Katie has, has touched there on, on our different work streams. Um, and as the IPTF, we have a few, few core values as well that we try and work by. 
one of them um, when we set out in 2021 was to be bold. And I guess IPOR um, grew out of that and also um, a need for us to to know how all this content that we were producing in our work streams was going to be useful and how we could get it out there. So um, IPOR was really born um, out of a need to get that material out to advisors. So the objective really of IPOR is to educate advisors um, uh, around IP, really all product features, how to sell it, who potential clients could be. Um, and it's, it has evolved, it's fair to say, we're, we're approaching the third IPOR. Um, and it started off, we were really sort of focused on advisors not selling any IP at all. Um, and I think we've naturally realised that there's something for everyone in IPOR. Um, you know, we've we've seen through the comments and questions we were getting through the sessions last year um, that um, what we're saying and, and the examples we're showing through IPOR are challenging advisors that have been doing this for years into different ways of thinking. Um, so it really aligns with the IPCS um, values and mission as well. It's all about seeking open dialogue and removing barriers and ultimately driving up sales. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say for any listeners who aren't familiar with it as well, IPOR is Income Protection Awareness Week. I just suddenly thought how strange it might yeah. sound, actually. To, <laughs> yeah. to yeah. just keep saying that and not saying what it is. But no, last year <laughs> yes. was a really, good point. really good success. You know, there was so much talk about it. I mean, the social media was just going crazy with all the information about it. So what was the kind of key things that you went over last year? So historically, we've always had different days of the week um, aimed at different types of advisors. So last year on Tuesday, we were looking um, specifically at mortgage advisors and how they could include IP in their conversations. And we had the now infamous Wealth Wednesday where we reached out to wealth advisors um, and we discussed again how they should include IP in their process and if they weren't going to, how they should set up referral agreements and signpost. And Thursday has historically always been a bit of a under, yeah. underwriting claims day for Andrew. Whatever else changes about iPod Thursday, they wheel me out, Catherine. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, I normally wheel your husband out as well to do yeah, the hard work. Say, but I, th- I think this year we well we finally, subject to a last minute desperate call, um, I think <laughs> I think we've um, we've uh, stood Alan down for the first time. But yeah, I think it probably is worth saying actually. Um, there's there, there's a load of good content from the first couple of years, including on the underwriting side last year. So so Thursday ends up being largely about underwriting and claims and some of the practical things. Um, it's always led by advisors, not insurers, so we get closer to the real issues. But for the Thursday last year, we did some really good videos on underwriting and the most sort of frequently asked questions about underwriting and IP. Um, I know Crystal from Cura did a couple. Um, but they were a real mix and I think got close to some really, you know, good answers. So they're, they're still available um, on the website and probably, you know, the aim is that that maybe gives some people some confidence um, with those kind of things you might not want to ask, um, especially when you're not sat in an office overhearing another question uh, like we used to learn. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that was that's always a successful day. No, that's great. Yeah. And it's great to hear that it's on the website too, because I think that's really important. Because you know, with the success of last year, to have all that content still there on the website, which is the what's the website again? Is it just if you search IPTF, it doesn't it? It just it's, comes up, doesn't yes. it, on Google? It's which is IPTF.co.uk. Fantastic. So that's an extra resource for everybody who is listening. I really suggest that you go there, and obviously, this things like signing up to newsletters and everything, and it is really about 
you know, it's, it's, it's not marketing, it's not sales gimmicky or anything like that. It is about advice and resources. So it is a, a great place for people. Okay. So moving on then a little bit to just give people why we're doing this and, you know, why you're still going and obviously why it's been needed for these last 20 years or so is if I come up to you, Andrew, you've been involved with the IPTF now since the beginning of 2021, all three of you. Um, but what are you seeing in the industry now? What kind of, I suppose, you know, have there been any changes in the last couple of years that you're feeling either consumer or advisor wise or even insurer or reinsurer wise at all? Yeah, there's um, there's always changes, even if it might not feel like it day to day, right? It's probably the, the truth in our industry. Um, it can it can feel slow at times, but that's where it's it's nice coming on like things like this and going, well, actually, over three years, things do change. Um I guess look, the instant positive is that sales are going in the right direction. Um, and that's true for income protection. And being honest, it's not true for life and critical illness. So the exact scale of growth depends on which numbers you look at. Uh, but whether you look at Swiss Re, Genry, or kind of RSI pipeline, so whether you're looking at reinsurer or tech data of applications or premiums being written, um, IP premiums are pretty significantly up over the last couple of years. The um, what you have to say, sadly, still in the next breath is they're still not nearly as high as they could or should be, and they're not nearly as high as for for critical illness. So, I guess rule of thumb is that what life sells about a million policies, critical illness sells about half a million, and IPs nudging on two hundred thousand. So we're back up closer to a lot closer to two hundred thousand than kind of the doldrums of one hundred thousand. Where, where the product has been. All of these numbers that I'm quoting here, by the way, are for individual IP. So um, group IP obviously exists as well alongside all of this. So, so they're new business sales each year. Um, but the numbers are going up, as, as we say, depending on what numbers you look at, it, certainly sort of 10 to 20% a year. So there's real growth. Um, and we can speculate on all the reasons for that. And maybe we'll, we'll, we, we can do that next. But I guess just briefly to touch on your product point there, Catherine, and for people who may have done IP in the past and not done it for a while. I think the big shift over the last sort of three to five years has been more and more um, shorter term products being sold. So where probably five, 10 years ago, almost all IP that was sold was to retirement. Now it's pretty much a 50-50 split between products that are two or five years or sometimes even one year um, policies rather than retirement policies. Um, and obviously, that's for a number of different reasons. Some is some is budget, some is product, some is, you know, you still get access to the same value add benefits, of which, again, we'll speak more later. Um, but yeah, in terms of from an advisor perspective, if you haven't done it for a while, I don't do it that frequently. That's, that's I think, probably the most significant change in terms of product pricing and, and everything that comes with that. Absolutely. Because I know we're going to chat a little bit as well, potentially about some of the biggest barriers to increasing IP sales. And I think just exactly why the reason that you guys are here is doing that education piece. It's not just consumers, it's advisors too, because the amount of times that you know we speak to advisors and, and they may be, they don't have access to, to certain insurers, you know, which means that maybe they are just purely to retirement options that they have. They then don't have the 
options that would maybe be more affordable for some clients. And and I know it's that kind of thing as an advisor, you always want to go to retirement. So I always say this, I always say to everybody, I'm going to give you the all singing, all dancing version. We can then work backwards because I want to see them. I want them to have the best of the best. But then there are times that, you know, we do need to go shorter term because it's better for them to walk away with a two year or five year claim than to walk away with nothing. And then sometimes we do have it where client circumstances mean that they they have to be a two year or five year claim. So there are so many different things. But I, I think, would you say that's probably one of the biggest barriers then, Andrew? That's, I think that probably stands out with you bringing that one up, that that's is that just that general education piece. Yeah, I think it still is. I think it, it, it must still be. And frankly, it's one that I think it's an advisor driven change, right? That change to two and five year. Um, you know, customers, obviously the products were there that advisors have bought, but there's plenty of products that kind of have been dangled out there, whether it's simple critical illness or whether it's blended life CIP. And, you know, we could spend an hour listing all of them, but actually probably the one product sort of change that's really that advisors have really grabbed and forced every insurer now to have different propositions yeah. um, across the whole protection space, I think over the last decade has been these, these short term IPs. It raises some quite interesting points around, we're now definitely blurring into ASU, uh, accident and sickness benefits at some point. Um, and to some people, that is what income protection is, right? If you go out on the street and ask people for the definition, um, then, you know, that's that's definitely in there in the headspace as well. Um, so I think it's I think we need to be more conscious of that, probably looking forward and realistic about about where where our proposition or where the traditional income protection proposition sits now. Um but yeah, ultimately, it feels for all of the absolutely true and right kind of mission statement stuff about IPTF, it feels like across income protection in general, and probably I poor specifically, that we, we do actually have um, some FOMO, some fear of missing out, correct my four-letter acronym before you do, Catherine. <laughs> um, so the first time, and that's really exciting, right? Because I think for most of my working career, IP has kind of been the thing you should do. Um, and again with consumer duty now it's oh you should do this and we all know if someone's telling you that it's you kind of listen to it and nod but it it feels at the moment like actually this is something that you know everyone else is doing so why aren't you Um, and you know we exist to kind of make that easier absolutely and um, I think that kind of all nicely kind of fits into the next question that I was going to ask you all I'm going to put you all on the spot if that's okay (laughs) and Joe I'm going to go for you first I was going to say if you could change one thing about the income protection market and, you know, with all your experience, because I know that you guys are just so sat in this space at this moment, what would be the one thing that you would really love to see change? So I'm going to start early, actually, um, and hopefully it's something that would, would benefit the whole market and, and advisors in particular, and that is financial education in schools. Um, I think if we could start that awareness raising um, earlier, and I'm I'm talking about really useful education, um, not stuff we're necessarily seeing at the moment. So for people to understand what is a mortgage and understand what that debt is, what their financial responsibilities are, um, you know, what, what credit cards are, how you pay that off, what's compound interest, those sort of useful things that are going to equip them to understand what they can do and what they need to do for their own financial resilience. I think that would be a huge step in terms of um, them understanding um, what happens are out there or even being interested in finding out once they're out of, of school and education. So that would be my my 
first thing on my wish list, I guess. I think that sounds great. I was going to say, I do see quite a few um, IFAs who do things like um, they volunteer mm. at the local schools to go in and do some things about pensions, yeah. investments, trying to do like engaging ones. And I'm I'm a governor at a school here and I keep thinking, how can I bring income protection to six to 11 year olds in a sense? And I'm sure that mm. it's, you know, it's possible to, but I'm trying to think of something like super, super fun and engaging whilst also trying to make sure I have time to do something like that, obviously. Because, <laughs> um, you know, obviously kids that age would be brutal with me if it wasn't any good <laughs> but uh, Andrew let's ask you then so what would be your thing that you would like to see changed just thinking of how you can engage prime if, if you took my kids prime bottles away from them Catherine oh. then but, you know if there was some threat of that I think that would <laughs> that would cut through but anything else at the moment that's this week's by the time this podcast goes out it'll be something else but anyway. I was gonna say I like that you've gone in for a threat I've just I would go to bribery it's just like I've got chocolate <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll let people make their own opinions. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so for me, I'm going to do what I do best and be slightly selfish and also use the intelligence of others. So uh, self-employed and small limited company directors and things like that. We've we've spent um, the last six months looking at collaboratively in one of our work streams. Um, and I guess the reason for looking at that is still a pretty firm belief that there's huge underpenetration of um of income protection for the self-employed um and, and as i say i won't reiterate every version of self-employed but almost for those people who would describe themselves as self-employed let's say um and we know that the numbers it's about 10 percent. again stats differ but you know it's certainly in of that region of, of people who are self-employed and have income protection and clearly then for nine in ten there's there's a huge um gap in, in the protection they have. Um, outputs from the work stream um, that I think could concretely change do fall across advisors and insurers. So there is a real, you know, that there's a there's an admission, I think, from some advisors that knowing some of the difficulties that they would face around things like proving income um, and especially income in early years mean that whether you're a mortgage broker, a wealth advisor, or a general protection specialist or anything else, if you hear, if somebody says they're a company director, are you more or less likely to say, we should talk about income protection? Um, and, and clearly for me, the aim is they should be more likely to talk about it, feel confident to talk about it and everything like that. Um, and, uh, and as I acknowledged kind of in the first part, I think there is more that can be done. Um, there are some quite interesting things out there from individual insurers trying to bridge that gap, especially for people as they make the move over. So I think, um, you know, the traditional route of saying we need two or three years of accounts and then we'll we'll kind of average those and that kind of thing understandably causes concerns and gives a, a reason to delay. So I think there's some interesting propositions coming out there around around how that can go forward. So I think I think making that a clearer thing that every advisor, when they hear someone say, I'm a company director or I'm becoming self-employed, that advisors see that as an opportunity to talk about income protection, not a reason to back away from it, would be my wish. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, it feels it feels quite bizarre to me that it wouldn't be, you know, as soon as you're self-employed, you know, as, as an advisor, to me, it's just automatic. In, well, for anybody, for me, it's income protection. But as soon as I hear company director, I'm like, executive income protection. And yeah. it's just, it's trying to see all those different aspects to it. But I suppose if people... 
I think a lot of the time with advisors, you do tend to have probably like a mentor or someone that you work with quite a bit. And if, if that person hasn't necessarily had income protection at the top of their minds, whenever they're doing things, you tend to then get influenced. And, and there's definitely been quite a, quite a long time frame, I think, in our industry where it's, it's all been life and kick, you know, always about life and kicks because I think naturally because they do merge together and income protection has been seen as that side piece. And then, but life and critical illness and income protection are automatically already seen as a side piece by quite a lot of advisors. So income protection is just a side piece of a side piece. So it's, it is a bit strange. So no, I think that's a, it's great to be really focusing upon the way the advisors are changing their mindsets for it. And, and Katie, what would be the one thing that you would like to change? Well, I actually have one and a half of us. Ooh. Okay. Cause my, my half kind of builds on Joe's point around the financial education at early stage, because I, th I think that's absolutely true. And I think it'd be brilliant to get an IP messaging at that point. But I think there's still a bit of a disconnect, isn't there, between well, how are those people going to buy IP? Because young young people and our future customers who are coming through aren't all going to get advice, if, you know, if we're honest yeah. about it. They're going to want to buy in different ways and things are changing. So I think having that openness as an industry to really meet those future customers kind of where they're at with different ways to buy i think is is really important and you know that that's uh, something that i suppose we we've also been looking at the iptf um this this year in particular different ways to to talk about ip and dis distribute it so i suppose that would be my half um my my other point kind of a little bit different to that i suppose would be a bit more on the underwriting side actually so i suppose um as a society, we are more health conscious today than, than we've ever been, which is a really good thing. Um, there are lots of medical and clinical tools, things that people can do at home. We're encouraged to go and seek help and, and things like that if, if, we, if we need it, um, which is all, all really positive. And as an industry, we, we encourage that through, through, you know, through the messaging we, we have through the value added benefits and things like that in terms of prevention. So that's, that's all a positive, but I think it feels like, um, there's an opportunity to, to really reflect that in the in the underwriting approach. Um, I'm sure, Catherine, you've probably seen you see this every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's and it's an interesting one because obviously the value added benefits absolutely phenomenal. You know, being able to access GPs, you know, the physiotherapy, occupational, you know, the, all the different things. Um, but one that sometimes it, it's just every now and then I'll suddenly look at something and I think that my mind works I think that seems to be like a loop that's got a bit of a hole in it in a sense when I'm looking at communications and different things and um and I just remember a few months ago and I, I think I maybe said it on the podcast actually um so something that stands out for me is that you know with income protection especially as soon as we have a mental health condition there um there does tend to be a mental health exclusion on there we are starting to see some really big improvements so if it's been a case of someone's needed some support due to bereavement and it was a few years ago that doesn't necessarily mean automatic mental health exclusion but sometimes again like you say if people aren't getting advice they're using online systems and they might be automatically seeing that because they don't have someone to really speak to the insurer and go come on you know it's you know but I always find it's very strange it's sort of like we're doing the value-added benefits swapping mental health support but then and we're advocating for people to do that really positively encouraging people because mental health is such an important thing it's incredible the amount of support that insurers offer but then at the same point, when we get into the underwriting side of things, if somebody has engaged with those mental health support services, they have to say, yes, I have spoken to somebody. And then that can in itself lead to an automatic mental health exclusion. So I think 
I think there is an area there where there's just there's there's a loop that's a bit broken that we just need mm-hmm. to really figure it out because and I I always say this, I do not envy the underwriters or the actuaries or anybody who would need to be dealing with this, but ultimately lots of young people now do engage with talking therapy. Um they people are engaging with the mental health support services. We see the fantastic statistics coming out of insurers, meaning that people are doing that. But then if we're actively encouraging people to do something to improve their mental health, then we shouldn't then be putting in negative in terms of the terms that they might eventually be seeing. And there's lots of other things as well that can really, really play an issue with it. So, and I have to say, unfortunately, it does tend to, to get us women quite a bit. Um, being a, a woman who's, you know, has a newborn baby and is feeling quite naturally stressed you know, and and not feeling great. She could as well. You know, Alan's definitely spoken about this at a conference recently where, you know, potentially has a bad back as well because you're picking down, you know, picking up, putting down this baby all the time. Eventually they get bigger. They still want carrying. I know my eldest still want carrying until the age of four or five. And he, he was a weight. Um, So, you know, my back (laughs) definitely was sore. Um, And then again, you know, straight away, we've got that situation. She's been stressed because she's handling a baby whilst, you know i'm not saying it's always yeah. a woman at home but just generally you know we will have that and and then there can be a mental health exclusion there can be a back exclusion the one more thing in there she could be declined ip across the board you then have women going through menopause who tend to have symptoms that can mimic stress and again we can then potentially not all but we can potentially have that situation especially if advisors aren't being used as well if people are going direct where we can have yeah. those exclusions which are, are very very tricky um so yeah, I think I think you're right, Katie. A nice sort of way of trying to sort of figure out. I have to say as well, though, in terms of accessibility, and I know I'm going slightly off tangent here, but you know we're involved in quite a few pilots with income protection as well. So like at the moment now as well, there's been incredible, phenomenal improvements in terms of income protection of people living with HIV, and we now mm-hmm. can potentially get standard terms of cover, which is compared to where we were 18 months ago, that is just way beyond anywhere where we are so there are improvements we do see yeah, them absolutely. i can definitely see why you was a where you suggest that katie because there is there's always something else that we can do with it but now um i was going to say for anybody who can't see this andrew had to had to just step away for a minute so now we've done all the intense underwriting chat i'm so i'm so sorry i'll just go i've just gone for it <laughs> in, in the bit at the start where you asked how i was and i was slightly quiet and distracted so our dog our lovely cockapoo oh. so we have a cockapoo called flo who i think is probably about 12 months younger than fudge oh. So she's 10 months. And I now know this morning she stood on a bee. So that was that was a friend who knows more about dogs than me with me going, she's limping and she's whining, but I don't know. They'd said they'd come around at some point after 12. But the one time someone comes around early. Um, but yes. And equally, if you heard any noise in the first 20 minutes, that wasn't my stomach rumbling. That was slow having a little whine, I promise. But I'm fully back. And I'm sure there's an IP analogy about, you know, illness or something, a dog a dog IP policy. Um, well, uh, yeah, I was going to say, and there's got to be something about stepping on a bee somewhere. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have an exclusion on that foot for a bit, you know, yeah. let's just see how we go yeah, with it. Yeah, no, yeah. we were just having a good chat about underwriting and accessibility, and we we're talking a bit on, like, the mental health side. And I was just saying about the, the incredible uh, developments in terms of HIV underwriting as well in this space. So then we've had a really good chat about, 
what you guys are up to. I Paul last week, so Income Protection Awareness Week again, just to confirm that for anybody. And um, we talked about the barriers, what we're seeing in the industry now, what you would like to change. So I think it's only natural that we start talking about what's going to come up in the IPOR Week 2023. So you've got a full week planned, I believe. Is that correct? We do indeed, yeah. Fantastic. So then, if I maybe start with you then, Joe, if you want to tell us just a quick thing about what's happening on Monday. Yes, sure, absolutely. Um, so this year, I'll just say that IPOR is slightly different in that we don't have those days um, dedicated to particular types of advisors. Uh, there is something for everyone every day because um, we're going to follow the advisor journey and look at a different aspect of the advisor role each day. Um, so Monday, you will see us doing a little bit of what we're seeing in the market, a little bit of scene setting and talking about why we still do IPOR. Um, and much of that we've covered today as well. Um, but we'll be basically looking at getting started um, on Monday. Um, where do you find your, your business and your clients? So we've had our seven advisors um, campaign running all this year. So we'll be bringing that in on the Monday because one of our advisors, Hannah, very bravely shared a video about the difficulties she was having in getting her pipeline established. So she's going to be coming in for a chat. Um, we're going to talk to some other advisors about how they've got themselves established. Um, and then we are going to have um, a very interesting panel discussion about um, establishing an online brand, be that a personal brand or a corporate brand, um, and the importance of that in um, in setting yourself up, really. So, so that's Monday. Brilliant. I've just only thought of two things that we need to clarify, if that's okay. Which Monday? I know it's September, but what's the start date? I suddenly thought. It's good to share. Yeah. Um, yeah, so do you just want me to say the date yeah, the say, dates yeah. that it's running? Yeah, so IPOR runs um, the week of the 18th of September. So the 18th till the 22nd of September, and it's at 12 o'clock, 12 noon each day for an hour online. Fantastic. And then just because you brought it up and people are going to go, what's that? What's the seven um, advisors, if you can just uh, explain that mm -hmm. to us? So Seven Advisors is a campaign that we've been running this year where um, it's the name Seven Advisors pops back to our Seven Families campaign where we, yeah. we follow the lives of Seven Families. This year, we're following Seven Advisors, um, all with very different backgrounds um, and levels of experience. We're asking them to document their, um, their sort of role. Um, and sort of video diaries that they send us with the challenges that they're facing, the successes they're having, the queries that are coming up in conversations. Um, and we're following that all via our LinkedIn page and on our YouTube channel. So you can find out more via iptf.co.uk or following us on LinkedIn, you'll see the videos twice a week. Fantastic. That sounds really, really good. So on Tuesday then, what do we have for us on Tuesday, Katie? Yeah, so we go from kind of getting started and find, finding clients on the Monday through to, okay, well, you've, you've found a client uh, and you've set up that first meeting. So what can you do to best prepare for that, to, to have a successful uh, IP outcome, essentially? So you'll be hearing from um, advisors, different advisors, different businesses on, on how they best prepare. So, you know, what questions they're asking ahead of time, what reports they're generating, um, you know, what are they thinking in terms of how they position IP as part of a wider personal finance conversation. We also have a panel, um, we love a panel at IPOR, um, bringing together industry experts uh, with, with network representation, advisor representation, really we're, we're looking at 
that theme of preparing, but in the context of what's going on in the in the world at the moment, the kind of economic volatility, where the mortgage market is, where the, where investment markets are, you know, what specifically can advisors do to to kind of address those points in their preparation? Fantastic. And uh, Wednesday, I believe we're back with you, George, just to give us a bit of background on the Wednesday. We are back with me. Yes, <laughs> I will say. I don't appear that much on Wednesday, but um, I will be introducing um, a bit of a sales masterclass um, and we'll be focusing on overcoming objections that might come up in those client conversations. Um, I guess that the spoiler is, of course, if you've prepared brilliantly and your client is fully aware that you're going to have that conversation, then you shouldn't be facing lots of objections. But we're quite realistic in the current context. It's cost of living crisis that there will be questions asked. So we really want to help prepare advisors to see those objections really as opportunities to have a really um, in-depth um, conversation with clients. So they come out understanding what you're proposing um, and, and you know, you, you ultimately, as Katie said, end up with a great IP outcome. Absolutely. And uh, Andrew, I think, is this the Thursday for you again, underwriting and claims? Yeah. As, 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 as hinted at earlier, yeah, we, we get them excited until Wednesday and then the reality hits of Thursday. Just like, well, you've already uh, got this far. You may as well get through the underwriting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, Catherine. Yeah, that's that, that's very much the uh, the energy we're going for. Um, yeah, it, again, I think I think it's a day probably most of all where there's that the you know st- stealing stealing this podcast's inspiration mm-hmm. unashamedly the the practical elements you know we recognize we're not going to change the world um with any panel or anything that we can do publicly on that thursday but what we can do really effectively is share things that actually work for advisors um you know when they face that difficult case when they have that difficult conversation when they're setting expectations with clients and things like that. So that's very much the focus on the underwriting side. Um, we can't, you know, we won't be saying where well, you should go with that hypertension case, um, but we will be kind of coming up with ideas for what you do. Um, I think a big theme this year uh, specifically is probably around exclusions and reviewable exclusions and non-reviewable exclusions. That's certainly something that um, I think the guys are quite keen to talk about um, in you know, how that can and should affect your where you place business and how it can and affect, you know, what, what you do next after placing business. So, again, that's probably something where it's always interesting where kind of the market's pretty much 50-50 split. And I think insurers are quite split there and maybe some advisors aren't quite aware of that. So we'll be going into that. Um, and, yeah, then the claim side, um, uh, we'll be going through what what happens and again how how advisors can get involved how uh, that can go better or worse depending on you know how how that's managed yeah absolutely i think that's really important because one of the things i always think of you know with a review with an exclusion it's always worth asking you know because i've been chatting to people as well when they've been um recently sort of like bringing clients to us and we've been chatting and and i've said i mean whether or not it's income protection or something else and i'll say right if you are told no it's a decline ask them when will it not be a decline, you know, so you can get that time frame in and, you know, that's so relevant to any form of protection. So and that's really good that you're including those bits as well. And Katie, I think you're finishing everything off on the Friday, are you? Yeah, so Friday is, um, it's always the the, the celebration day uh, because it's the end of the week and we've, we've survived. But then it's always tinged with, 
uh, it's the day that's always live from the studio. So it's tinged with with a bit of fear um, in there. Um, but but I suppose we so so other than doing the obvious things of recapping the week, taking any questions, um, we and also kind of thinking about how you can turn what you've heard into action because I think that's really what we've always tried to achieve with IPOR is that yeah you know, we don't we don't want it to be a, a lunchtime webinar that you come to and then quickly forget and go back to your 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 very busy day. Um, we want to give those tangible things that you can that advisors can actually implement and use straight away. But there is also a theme on the Friday in terms of the, in terms of the content, and I suppose throughout the week it's been about ultimately <clears throat> getting a getting a policy on risk and protecting another income. So then it's about okay, well, how how can advisors best be engaging with those clients on an ongoing basis? How can they be adding value? How can they be reviewing policies? What about you know the role of annual statements and how value added benefits can support them? You know, the minute that policy is live, essentially, um, and, and on, a, on an ongoing basis. So that's the thing for Friday. It's the live day. It's the scary day, but it's also the celebratory day as well. Fantastic. I think on the consumer duty aspect thing of that as well, it's really important. You were saying about annual statements and stuff. So I think some things some advisors don't necessarily have in mind a lot of the time is obviously we are encouraged to increasing income protection, increasing policies because obviously salaries changed. But I think what some advisors don't necessarily think about is that if they do like the maximum amount for some assured for that person's obviously salary and they do RPI linking, which is obviously seen as good practice, if that person's salary doesn't increase, they're actually going to become overinsured and the premiums are going to go up and they're going to be paying for something they can't access. So even more so than ever, we should have always been doing stuff like that, but especially when people are wanting to do stuff in the consumer duty, just having something in there to double check has that salary changed. It's just an extra tick box to make sure that we're doing completely right by the client. So it's great to see all that in there as well. So I believe um, as we're coming towards the end of the podcast as well, we'll do a nice summary up with this. I believe you have CPD for everybody this year. Andrew, how is it that they are getting it? What do they need to do to be able to get that valuable CPD? Yes, I think um, again shared shared pain probably, Catherine, with with some of your experiences in in the early days of the Practical Protection Podcast. Um, we are we are definitely on top of CPD this year. So, really? I guess the most important thing is you register and you attend and you enjoy and you take something from it. Right, that's still fundamentally our our genuinely our main motivation for doing this. Uh, so to register, you can either go straight to the website or follow us on LinkedIn and, you know, all those usual kind of things. Um, and then if you register and attend, and frankly, it's easy to see if you attend or not with technology these days, and that CPT certificate will be sent automatically for each session that you attend. So so it, it couldn't be easier. The key thing is to register and then turn up and listen. Um, and I guess still for us the aim is that there's that engagement and buzz again around it this week um it's we want to start conversations um we've done that pretty well in years gone past uh that's that's the reason we do it that's what excites us whether they involve us or whether they involve as you said earlier Catherine you're someone's mentor or or going and, and investigating something uh that's that's the whole aim of this but there is also cpt as well which is fantastic. We always like to to hear that. And Joe, what do people, what can they do to get involved with stuff like IPTF? Where should they be going? Well, there's lots. As Andrew's mentioned, um, you can follow us on LinkedIn. We're producing uh, content every day 
from 100 days before IPOL. So uh, you can go and explore the IPTS LinkedIn page. Um, you can also um, send us a video if you're feeling really brave. We are always welcoming um, video content. There'll be lots of montage videos um, as part of IPOR. Um, and so we would like to hear your thoughts on what you're seeing in the market on any of the themes we've mentioned today. So how do you prepare for a client meeting? What objections do you hear from clients and how do you overcome them? Um, basically, just join in the fun, really. Share your video on LinkedIn and we've got two hashtags to include. One is Let's Talk IP and the other is IPOR, which is, we've said is IPAW 2023. Um, and then we'll see your your content online. Um, but yeah, it's all about, as as we've said a couple of times, advisors sharing their experience. IPOR is not us telling you what to do. It's us sharing the experience of other advisors to hopefully inspire and encourage other advisors. So sharing your videos online is all part of that. Fantastic. That sounds really, really great. So, well, thank you very much for coming on and setting us all up for the iPod that's going to be happening super soon. Please do go on and register, everybody. Um, it's It certainly will help. It gets you your CPD as well. I always like to say that it's a real encouragement for people. Get your CPD. And I think what's important as well is that it's, it's actually useful. Like we were saying there, you know, saying, Andrew, it's practical. It's actual useful information that will help you as an advisor. So thank you, Joe, Katie and Andrew for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you. Next time, I'm going to be speaking with Justin Harper and we'll be talking again about income protection. So we're keeping this conversation going, definitely going forward. If you would like um, to get your CPD certificate and see other episodes, please visit the website um, practical-protection.co.uk and thank you very much everybody I look forward to seeing this uh, this week coming up it's Catherine thank you thanks thank Catherine you.